Our scripture lessons today, for those who will be listening later, come from Ezekiel chapter 37, from Psalm 130, Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, and John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. When I was a young newlywed living in Colorado Springs, I still had a lot to learn about life. In fact, I would even say I was a little bit gullible. I don't remember how it happened, but we wound up going to a high-pressure sales pitch to join a discount travel club. The idea was that whenever you wanted to buy a plane ticket, go on a cruise, or stay in a resort, that you could do so with this company's services at a great discount. Well, my wife and I love to travel, so this sounded great. And since we didn't have kids yet, we not only had disposable income to pay the entry fees, but we also had the time to travel. So we joined and started dreaming of the trips that we would take. If it had been a timeshare instead, I might just as easily have fallen for that. By the time we got around to planning a trip that would require their services, the Discount Travel Club had gone out of business. We got nothing. Have you ever had buyer's remorse? You pay money for something, and it just doesn't live up to your expectations. It's disappointing, but it's even a little humiliating because you can't help but feel like you've been duped. But there's something far worse than remorse over wasting money on a product or service. Our epistle lesson today from Romans 6 describes the trap of spiritual remorse. Every human being on the planet has or will experience spiritual remorse. It's truly universal. And it occurs when it finally sinks in that we are slaves to the wrong master. I honestly don't think we understand sin very well. We tend to look at it as isolated, individual, evil choices. I told a lie to that person. I was angry and said mean things to this person. I took from something from the office that didn't belong to me. We know that these are all bad things, but we don't see that they are related. These appear to be isolated events. But if we know they are wrong, then why do we do them? Going one step further, sometimes we do sinful things that we know are not in our best interest. I don't think any honest person has ever said spending money on pornography was in their best interest. And yet, the porn industry is a multi-billion dollar industry. How did it get that way if it is in no one's best interest? Paul knows it's because we are slaves to sin. He writes in verse 16, You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. This paints an entirely different picture of sin. Rather than it being a bunch of isolated individual words, thoughts, and actions, they are the result of the same thing, who our master is. And from Paul's way of seeing things, we are slaves no matter what. We only get to choose who our master is. 
In a society that so highly values our freedom, this doesn't sound so good. We don't want to be slaves. We want to be free. This is quite an indictment of the human condition. Ever since the fall, under Adam's reign of sin that we learn about in Romans chapter 5, we have lost the ability to be truly free. That's a result of sin entering the world. We only know how to be slaves. But we fool ourselves into thinking that we are the master. But let's face it. If we were the master, we wouldn't do things that were not in our best interest. Who does that? Our entire democratic system of government and our capitalist economy is based on the idea that everyone will do what is in their own best interest within the bounds of law, of course. As Paul tells us in verse 16, and again in 23, sin leads to death, and none of us want death, whether physical or spiritual. That means when we sin, we are clearly not doing what is in our best interest. And in case you think you can sin and avoid death, Paul writes in verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. That means we earn death, both physical and spiritual. It's not an unexpected surprise. It's the natural result of our sinful actions. Spiritual death doesn't happen all at once, but rather slowly over time. So we sin because it is our master. We are not acting in our own best interest, even if it feels like it at the time. And we know if nothing changes, our sin will lead to death. This doesn't sound so good so far. Oh, but there's more. Sin doesn't leave us as it found us. You ever hear a news story about someone who has done something so completely heinous it's hard to believe? Some behavior is simply so evil that it shocks the senses, like a mother who kills her own child. How could somebody do such a thing? Well, it started out with little sins that seemed normal. But each time one sin barrier is broken, it seems like less of a big deal to break the next. Like I said, sin doesn't leave us as it found us. When we give in to temptation, our boundaries move. What was once unthinkable becomes a possibility. The way sin changes us is so subtle that we're not even aware of it happening. Like a frog cooking in a pot as the water temperature is slowly raised to the boiling point. Like the frog, we are being slowly cooked to death in a pot of our own sins. That's where our sin puts us. It's unavoidable. Paul describes it in verse 19 as greater and greater iniquity. We move our own barriers, our own boundaries of what is acceptable behavior as we sin, which corresponds with our slow death inside. It's all so subtle. But unless something changes, the end result is inevitable. We are cooked. This sounds pretty hopeless, but Paul doesn't think so. 
He is addressing people of whom he says, you once yielded your members to impurity, but he implores them now to yield your members to righteousness. In other words, we aren't stuck. There is hope after all. First of all, that hope comes in Christ, who is the source of eternal life, which Paul in verse 23 calls the free gift. And second, that free gift allows us who were once slaves to sin, to leave that dreaded master. We can get out of the pot before it's too late. So if the consequences of remaining slaves to sin are so dire, why do so few people switch to obedience as their master? In order to leave our sin master, we have to come to the point of spiritual remorse, or as John Wesley called it, crisis. The pain resulting from our sin has to get our attention to the point where we want out. We want to change, and we want it so bad that we'll accept a new master. As I said earlier, we all reach a point of spiritual remorse eventually. The important thing is to reach that point while we're still living which means there's something we can still do about it. After death, spiritual remorse is permanent. The sooner we make the switch, the better. Many people become so spiritually dead from repeated sins that they grow accustomed to the pain and simply accept it. Some might say that the free gift of grace is a get-out-of-jail-free card so we can keep on sinning. This way of thinking is where Paul starts today's passage. His answer, by no means. He is looking at the question from the viewpoint of those who already believe in Christ. They have already made obedience their master. His point is, if we then go on sinning, we enslave ourselves all over again. So the fact that sin leads to enslavement and poor returns is his argument for avoiding sin, even knowing that Jesus will forgive us. He reminds the Romans, what return did you get from the things which you are now ashamed? This rhetorical question is his way of making the point that a life of sin isn't worth it. Sin always leads to poor returns. In other words, it's a bad investment. I'm quite certain none of us here planned our retirement using what we thought were bad investments. No, we want good returns. But like investing for retirement, our sinful nature sometimes gets in the way of good investing, causing us to act in ways that are selfish and short-sighted. We forget that sin is not in our best interest. Sadly, we need reminding of that, don't we? When we think of sin as just this once, it doesn't seem so bad. It's like being on a diet for six months and then taking a Saturday off. You've still lost weight. Taking one day off doesn't mean the diet was a failure. One day won't hurt. But we know that sin really isn't like that. It's never an isolated event. Like wolves, sin travels in packs. We need to be reminded that when we sin, we are not in control. 
Sin easily enslaves us and makes us its own. Answering to obedience also takes on a life of its own. It, too, grows. Obedience to Christ leads to righteousness, which Paul says is for the purpose of sanctification. Verse 22 says that sanctification is the return on our investment in obedience. This is the return that that holds up under scrutiny, never loses its value, and is one will never regret. In fact, Paul goes on to say that the end result of sanctification is eternal life. And let's not misunderstand this as simply meaning eternal life after death. It means that in following Christ, the author and source of all life, we are filled with his life more and more as we grow in holiness. That's life right now. Forgiving others instead of clinging to bitterness is more life right now. Happily giving to those in need is more life right now. Worshiping God with a full heart is more life right now. I've had to go to the doctor more times than I can count, sharing details of some pain or another. Pain is an indication that something is wrong in the body. For those of us over the age of 40, some pains are ones we just have to live with. But others indicate a condition that needs fixing, sometimes through stretching and exercise, sometimes through medication, and sometimes through surgery. While we don't enjoy pain, it plays an important role. It tells us to take action. Spiritual pain works the same way as physical pain. Something is wrong, even if we aren't consciously aware of it yet. Spiritual pain tells us it's time to take action. As we mark the final Sunday in Lent before Palm Sunday, we need to come to grips with sin's power. We are foolish to ignore the fact that in moments of weakness, sin can look good, even to those of us who know better. We fool ourselves into thinking that sin is just an isolated event that doesn't change us and that we can control, or that it'll be okay because Jesus promises to forgive us. But Paul reminds us that in reality, sin is the master and we are the slaves. And as a result, sin causes us to do things that are not in our best interest. But we don't have to be slowly cooked. We can choose obedience to Christ, which also changes us, moving us towards sanctification and eternal life. And the pain of spiritual remorse is what helps get us started. Thanks be to God for the pain of spiritual remorse. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.